Hello, everybody. I'm just back from London, and I brought back a little bit of kind of homespun video with me. While I was there, uh, I did not have a chance to interview Manjir Samantha Lawton, whose work I absolutely adore. She's the author of Punk Science and brought through an entirely different theory on black holes that I find fascinating and fundamental to reality. Anyway, over the years, we became friends, and because I couldn't interview for Gaia, I was just going to meet her for lunch. So she was kind enough to hop on a train from Milton Keynes, and then um, I was hopping up on a train from central London. We met in the middle at Euston Station, and we're going to have lunch at the Pullman Hotel, which is a beautiful place, normally pretty quiet. And at the last minute, I said, hey, Manjir, bring a little lipstick, because I want to go ahead and do a short interview with you after we have lunch together on your uh, latest findings and understandings of black holes and time. So she agreed to do that. We're in the hotel uh, bar, which normally is quiet this time of day, and on this particular day, they had a special function, so it's a little noisy in the background, but you can hear her just fine. So without further ado, let's go to Manjir Samantha Lawton on the subject of black holes and reverse time. So, thanks, Regina. You, you know that black holes are often seen as these guzzling monsters that take in everything around them. And even light, that's why they're called black holes. So, we often think of them as these things in science fiction movies where our heroes are going towards them and they're getting sucked in and they get, you know, rescued at the last minute. And the concept of black holes came out of Einstein's theories of relativity. And uh, that was added to by people like Stephen Hawking. And uh, so, but we hadn't actually seen black holes, as it were. Obviously, the idea was you don't really see black holes because they're black and light doesn't come out of them. But we hadn't really seen sort of evidence of black holes until very, fairly recently when we had telescopes that were powerful enough to see into uh, galaxies that are nearby to us. So once we started to look into nearby galaxies, we were in for a surprise because black holes are at the centre of all the galaxies that we can find. There's something about them that means that they're sitting at the centre and actually have stars that are spinning very, very quickly around them at the centre of all the local galaxies that we can see. And every single galaxy that we looked at had a supermassive black hole at the centre. Not only that, but instead of being completely black, the way that we can recognise a black hole is that they're actually really, really bright. And they're giving off loads of radiation. And this was a bit of a puzzle. And so if you pick up any scientific article or something on black holes right now, what you'll see is a scientist trying to do all these kind of distortions and saying that, well, what's happening is that the material around the black hole as it's going down the plug hole is getting so superheated that it's actually giving off radiation like a dying gasp or a burp, for example. Um, but if you look at really what's going on, it's a lot more simple. The reason why black holes are at the centre of all these galaxies is because they actually create the galaxies. And that's why there's a one-to-one -one relationship between the size of the supermassive black hole and the actual galaxy itself. It's simple. What you need to do is a change in your mindset and you'll see it quite easily. 
So the insight that I had in 2003 that just came to me when I was walking in the woods is that black holes are the creative centers of the universe. And what happens is you have many dimensions to the universe and what happens is light comes through, infinite light comes from infinity, that singularity at the center of the black hole that we you know, used to call the singularity, that is infinite light. And it spirals through the, the infinity, infinite dimensions and comes to the edge of our dimension. And our dimension, the limit of our dimension is, guess what? The speed of light. Einstein was right. But it's not the limitation of the universe. It's the limitation of our reality. So it comes to the edge of our reality, which is at the speed of light. And it splits from, the light splits from the particle of light to a particle of matter and antimatter and that's why we observe particles of electrons streaming out of the edge of black holes at just below the speed of light. Okay Manju, I have another question regarding that. So if we take it into kind of uh, some of the ancient mysteries, for example, and some of the language when we talk about the logos and prima materia and take it back to that essential core of all of reality, what reality is created from, is the black hole in essence where the intelligence or the information or the logos is coming through that informs the material world, the prima materia? This is actually what we have evidence for too. And it's really interesting that ancient myths talk about, that the Gnostics talk about the goddess Sophia falling out of the center of the galaxy and creating the world. And the Mayans talk about the um, center of the galaxy being the cosmic womb, the mother. And these myths are in our ancient cultures, which is just so amazing. So what the important thing to realize is that the this signature doesn't just happen at the center of the galaxy, it happens every single level of reality. And that goes right through from um, all the uh, stars, all the planets, so just different levels of the same, um, the same pattern which is why I call it the black hole principle. It's the same principle going all the way through like a fractal. And when you start to understand the basic pattern, you can see evidence for it everywhere. Um, so this is where the true intelligence of the universe is. It's this infinite mind, this infinite consciousness, infinite light at the center of the black hole, and it manifests in many dimensions and into this one. And, uh, you know, your all your uh, chakras, your atoms, you know, all atoms show the same pattern. And there's a lot to go into now, but when you actually look at the sort of pattern of the matter and the antimatter doing a dance, um, coming together, turning into light, um, that happens in atoms too. Um, you know, the work of Paul Dirac, very, very famous Nobel Prize winning physicist, he discovered um, the uh, antimatter in atoms. So, you know, the same sort of pattern goes all the way through. We finally have an explanation for what chakras are. They are these spiraling, dynamic things that aren't in this dimension but create the physical body. So it's the same pattern going all the way through. 
one of the things you, you talked about in your book, Pug Science, that I was so intrigued with all those years ago was that um, you say that even on the atomic level, even in, within the atom are its own mini black holes. Well, if that's the case, and if this is the inspiration, the intelligence, information, word, logos, then wouldn't that be at the base of what we call epigenetics? Um, in terms of epigenetics, you're talking also about, um, you know, coming into DNA and absolutely yes. DNA, you see that same sort of spiral, the same sort of, um, I think there's a link between the H bonds of DNA and also um, the other big news that, Regina, we have to actually catch up on is that black holes also create water. Um, this was really, really interesting because I realised that the terrestrial gamma-ray flashes, that we've been looking at um, above the clouds for quite a few years now on this planet. We've had satellites and things that have been pointed down at the planet. And to our surprise, we realised that during a thunderstorm, there are gamma-ray bursts that happened on our, uh, on, in our own planet's atmosphere that are just as strong as those that happen out in space. Now, do you remember I said at the edge of a black hole, the light splits into the matter and antimatter and then goes back again? Well, um, you know, this is happening everywhere. So when they go back again, they release a gamma-ray burst. Now, what do we see happening all over the cosmos that we can't explain? Gamma-ray bursts. And explain this, uh, how it, this would work just down to the, the, the micro level and even on yeah. the cellular level. That's going on all throughout uh, the universe. So those are the gamma bursts that happen in our thunderstorms. And we have these photons actually coming off our bodies as well. And um, that is what people like um, Prince Albert Pop is picking up as biophotons. So these pulsing emissions, this breathing, you know, because the black hole principle is about breathing. Sometimes um, the breath goes one way and it produces uh, the matter and antimatter and then they recombine again. You may recognize this as something called a zero point field, but it's actually coming out of these black holes. So um, then they recombine again. So this is happening at every level of reality, including yourself. So that breathing process, and we do have evidence that galaxies actually breathe. Um, it's actually been measured that near near the centre of the galaxies, you actually have these clouds of gas actually breathing. So um, you actually have it in ourselves as well. We actually measure the photons coming off. Now, of course, the other thing that's important about a thunderstorm is that it rains. And at first I was a bit flummoxed because I was going, that means that black holes produce water. <laughs> and I was thinking, everybody's going to think I'm crazy. I mean, they think I'm crazy enough as it is, but I mean, <laughs> everyone's going to think I've really lost it now if I say that black holes produce water. But sure enough, evidence is coming up from all over, all over space that there's massive bodies of water being produced by black holes. So the predictions were absolutely right. And since then, of course, we found water coming out of comets. We found water coming out of planets out of Mars, you know, it's not just water from the past, but it's water in the moment. And of course, what does this mean for our bodies? Well, there's got massive implications of how we create so-called metabolic water. You know, we don't have to drink six to eight glasses of water a day because our bodies actually produce water them itself. You know, it's a misnomer that's often repeated. 
where does this water, this metabolic water come from? Well, you know, we do say it's the side effect of some of the chemical reactions that happen after we've taken food, but what if it's actually coming from this black hole process at every single level? So also in terms of the epigenetics, you know, you have these interesting bonds between the bases of DNA. So um, is there something in that as well, in the uncurling and coming together of DNA, the breathing patterns of DNA that's um, taking in? And you have this sort of same sort of spiral patterns of DNA as well that you see throughout the cosmos. So the same kind of patterns are going throughout every level of reality, from the supermassive black holes at the centre of galaxies all the way through to our DNA, to our atoms, to our trappers, and everything in between, stars, planets, and there's a lot of evidence for this. Um, and, you know, I could go on all day about the evidence. You know, and I, I find, to me, the interesting, personally, the interesting and edgy part of it has to do with intelligence um, on all levels, whether it's intelligence by way of inspiration or desire as creators ourselves as uh, as a great creator how that is informing the output and, and the, the physical expression through these black holes I find fascinating can you speak a little bit to the interface with consciousness oh absolutely I mean as a lot of the amazing quantum physicists that um, with rebel quantum physicists such as Peter Russell and Amit Goswami who I'm sure you've uh, met up with in your time um, they've actually talked about how the logical conclusion of quantum physics is that everything is consciousness and that that is the fundamental reality really so absolutely we're talking about the light of consciousness that is manifesting in all these different levels and into what we call physical form we you know this is this solidity is really just an illusion and we know this now from our science from our experiments that if we break this down if we look at the atoms there's really empty spaces really nothing there there's just really possibilities and um and ultimately, all we can say about that is it's information, and because it interacts with our observations, this is you know this is experimental stuff. That some of our most ex uh, successful experiments in quantum theory and quantum physics are to do with how observation collapses the possibilities into reality, into particles, what we would call reality. So um, basically, mind has absolutely everything to do with it. We've known this for since the 1930s, and most people just sweep it under the carpet. But these rebel quantum physicists have actually said, well, this must mean there's something about mind consciousness that's fundamental. So absolutely, there's this mind that's going through and everything is connected the same singularity at the center of the black hole is the same singularity in our atoms in the center of everything in our chakras everywhere it's the same universal mind manifesting in infinitely myriads of ways i love that Another thing that tends to be an illusion in our thinking is time and the way time runs. And this is also something you wrote about and we've talked about before, but I'd like you to expand on a bit. And that has to do with the notion of mirror time. We tend to think of time as a linear thing that marches on. We either catch the train or we don't, so to speak. 
But in fact, you say there's an entirely different reality that most people don't know about that is mirrored in time. You know, time is a real puzzle when it comes to physics because um, we used to think of what's sometimes called Newtonian time, where there's this clock that's ticking away no matter where you are in the universe. But of course, with the uh, advent of Einstein's thinking, we realise that time is relative. So it depends on how fast you're travelling and whereabouts you are in the universe and the interaction with gravity as to whereabouts, uh, how fast time seems to be going in your reality. So if you're going at uh, almost the speed of light, time seems to slow down to almost infinity. You know, so um, there's, and that affects aging and all sorts of things. So uh, we know from those times that um, time is something that is weirder than we possibly thought. Now, um, what I'm saying with the black hole principle is that there are different actual, actual zones of time. And one of them is when that that light, which actually is timeless, so the light that splits out of the black hole, it creates this region of matter, that's the electron bit, and that's the bit that has positive time. Now, that's what we're used to, where um, the baby grows up into the adult. But then there's this other sort of mirror universe, that's the antimatter, the you know, the actual opposite of that matter. And that's what we call the positron. And that, that region has got the negative time and the negative mass and all of those things that go with antimatter. And that's in a slightly different zone. That's in the C squared zone. So these are kind of mirror images of each other. Now, ultimately, those two regions cancel out and we are left with the eternal now. But our point of awareness is actually that something grows from a child to an adult. And, uh, but actually, in the negative time region, it's going backwards. So ultimately, everything is simultaneous. Everything is in the eternal now. You could say that it's all uh, matter and antimatter, basically um, light in disguise, pretending to incarnate. But ultimately, it's still light. So it's both in time and out of time at the same time. <laughs> How does that affect our functional reality when we're looking at time? Because on one level, it's almost as though something has been set into motion or prescribed, so to speak. This is a hard one for people to really um, get through because the ego self wants to be in control. And the idea that everything in your life is already predestined is really difficult for the ego to take because the ego wants to be in control. When you realize that this applies to yourself as well, that you have aspects of you that are multidimensional, that all the way to infinity, then um, you realize that it's not your ego self that is in control, it's what you might call your higher self, the part of you that's outside of space and time, that aspect of your consciousness. And it's that part that's really putting the events of your life in your timelines, the C and C squared. And then we have this concept in esoteric philosophy of surrender to the higher self. And when you start to live like that, when you realize that you're not pushing from behind as it were pushing it forward into this forward timeline and you're actually allowing allowing the events of your life to unfold it doesn't mean that you don't do anything it actually just means that you know you're flowing with where it needs to go so a river 
flows. It doesn't just stay static, you know, but it's flowing in the best way. So when you're surrendering to uh, the higher self, that's more of the life that you're living. And uh, and you realize when you look back that that's what's been happening all the time. <laughs> you're just not aware of it. So it is not just about sitting there and going, well, everything's all happened. It's about going, tuning into your heart, going, okay, what is it that needs to manifest in this moment? And also letting go. It's incredible when you realize that, you know, that traffic jam that held you up, that was supposed to happen. You know, that's a higher self put that there. And you understand that there was a reason for it. Maybe you avoided some sort of accident. But, you know, when you start to realize this, the, the regret in your life goes, you know, you start to live in a different way. And that's the true liberation of the back hole principle in your life. I love that. I, I love it now. I loved it then. And something else that's come up, which we were talking about, we had a little lunch before this, um, that you've been working on in terms of timelines. I found fascinating because you're saying that these black holes are constantly breathing in, breathing out. They're expanding and contracting. And that during another time in history, we were able to see into other realms as a result of this. This is a fascinating, is this a discovery of yours or something that others are working on at this time as well? Um, tell us about that. Well, as, as you know, and uh, watching your videos uh, previously has been so inspirational, um, there is this concept called, you know, the cycles of time, the golden, um, the golden year, you know, the going from the golden age to a dark age and back again. And if you look at this, really, it's a sine wave or a spiral. And uh, so my idea is, and this is not something that I, this time I have the astrophysics for, but there's also a big black hole of time, as it were, breathing in and out and spiraling. And that's why we go through these eras. And uh, it's something called the accordion effect. So if you're looking at an accordion, the, sort of, um, the levels of the accordion sort of come together and breathe apart and you see these levels. And that's like having the dimensions come together and apart over time. And when they're closer together, um, it's almost like what we call the veils are thinner. And so that's when we had the ancient people who were could see the gods, quote unquote, um, more easily because and they, we talked about we talk about people in the Bibles living long lives. Well, that's when space and time were different. You know, and um, so the, the people, the antediluvian kings who lived these absolutely fantastic lives, their years, their time were not the same as it is now. And we always look back at history thinking that we've got this Newtonian clock. Well, sorry, but physics doesn't work like that. You know, time is not absolute, and we're still seeing things through that, that sort of lens. So we need to bring together the archaeology and the history to, and the physics to realize, well, back what we call back then, time and space itself were different. You know, so why not? Because that's what Einstein has been telling us for quite a long time. So what's happening is at those points, time and space were so different that the dimensions were closer together. That's when our, what we call patriarchs and matriarchs, uh, were actually walking with the gods. They could see them more. And who are these gods? Interdimensional beings that are still actually around us all the time. But because we are now pretty much in the dark era where we, where the veils are thinner, uh, thicker, sorry. So, um, the bellows are further apart. So we can't see these gods anymore. We look back at these tales and we think they're all made up and they're, 
mythical and legendary and we dismiss them. But in all of these things, there's greater truth in them. And uh, so this is where we are now, as people are waking up again, they're starting to have angelic, you know, uh, guides appear to them, things like that. We're slowly, slowly edging back and the breath of the black hole is going the other way and we're back, going slowly back to a golden age. <laughs> I'm so happy you explained that because um, my intuitive sources many, many years ago told me the same thing. They said, well, you have to understand that time did not pass the same way. And I couldn't get my mind around how would time itself change in terms of the ability to measure it. And I love the description you just gave with the breathing black hole essence of time. That makes sense. The collapse and the expansion close together in dimensions and then breathing apart again. So um, we only have a few minutes left, Manjir. So anything else that you're doing right now that you want to catch us up on? Because you're always on the cutting edge. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if you go to my website, paradigmrevolution.com, or if you can't remember that, just go to punkscience.com. You can access um, the online courses that I'm doing. Um, I've got one called Simply Divine, which breaks it all down for you, how the black holes affect your life. Um, so that's live right now. Also, the Magdalene Mystery School, which is um, looking at Mary Magdalene and all of this like intertwining of reality and the science of it all, the archaeology of it all, with the mystical nature. And of course, we've got the punk science movie and masterclasses, which is coming soon, and uh, the genius group as well. So we've got loads to come so and if you want to just try the free course which is called seven steps to a magical life you can actually sign up for that today that's completely free you've got a free video course and uh, so this is putting those principles straight into action you can do that today I love it, Monsieur. Your site is a wonderful sandbox for everybody to play in. I'm so glad we could catch up. We both came in. You came down from Milton Keynes, and I just came up from Waterloo, and we met in the middle at Euston Station, just outside of the hotel here in London. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come down to see me. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the chat.